So God does come near to us. Today we're going to be looking at the flood, uh, which is an interesting concept. I always thought it was funny when people would, uh, would decorate their baby's rooms and they would decorate it with Noah's Ark. I mean, that's pretty funny. I mean, none of us would go in and like put up like Armageddon stuff in our children's room, um, you know, because that's basically what happened. I mean, God wipes the world clean. But it's got animals, so it's cute, I guess. Um, oftentimes, we don't associate the flood, with, with the flood with God coming near. I mean, it's a terrifying event. It was, uh, the world was full of corruption. The world was broken. Uh, we were far away from God. And, of course, it was this holocaust of humanity and animals and everything that happens. And, and at times of punishment, oftentimes we feel very distant from God, right? When there is this, this separation we feel. But if we look into the story, we recognize that it really wasn't God that distanced himself. It was us. But in that story of the flood, we see the heart of God, which eventually drove him to come to and save us in the flesh. And so God came near. So we're going to start with the very beginning of the story here, huh? that God finds hope in a hopelessly corrupt world. Um, the world was, was bad before the flood. It wasn't like God just woke up one day in a bad mood. In fact, this is what it says in the scripture, Genesis 6, uh, 5 through 8. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth. And every inclination of their thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. That's pretty bad. It says the Lord regretted that he made human beings on earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. It was bad. Uh, corruption was everywhere. Corruption was in every human heart. Corruption was in society, was in the government, was in, was in all things. And there was violence, and there was hatred, and there was bloodshed, and, and it was a bad place. You see, when we looked in the world, when Noah and God would look in the world at that time, and say, what good is there? Even God was upset that he made it, but... We read verse 9, which is this wonderful thing, or verse, then in verse 8 it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't it? That's one of the biggest buts in the Bible. I love it. Because that one saves us. Right? If there was no Noah, then there wouldn't be a you and me. If there was a hopelessly corrupt world. Thousands of people doing bad things all the time, and yet there was just one. Talk about a needle in a haystack. But God sees the one. And it wasn't just that Noah found favor in the eyes of God because he was just this, you know, like a Zeus-type God that just picked out people he liked just because he liked them. No, it tells us something about Noah. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Noah was a righteous man, blameless amongst the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. You think Noah looked at his society and said, what hope is there? <laughs> Does God even care? Everybody else, all the time, was wicked. That, that's, that's pretty bad. When he looked into his government, there really was nothing that he could look to and say, oh, that's right, I can agree with that. When he looked at his neighbors, there was nothing he could look to and say, well, at least they're good at this or they've got a good heart. All 
of their thoughts all the time were set on wickedness. Can you imagine? And to be the only one, the holdout that, that was being faithful to the Creator. The only one. Now, he's got a lineage that had grandparents and things that had walked with God and knew God. But he found himself in a world and society that was hopelessly corrupt. And yet he found God. And God found him. So then God guides Noah. God finds him, but doesn't just leave him there in the midst of this hopeless corruption. God comes near to Noah. I mean, the last one. I can't imagine if God waited one more generation, how well his kids would have done. Right? God comes in and he doesn't just leave them there and say, all right, humanity has become completely corrupt. I'm just going to destroy them. He begins to guide Noah, and this is what it says in the text, Genesis 6, 13 to 14. It says, so God said to Noah, I would have put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with what? Violence because of them. And I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. There was a way out of this problem that Noah had. He had had an inside scoop of what was going to happen. God came near to him and said, listen, I'm still going to destroy the world. But there's a way to save you. Now, there was a way. And God gives him, and if you read um, the next couple chapters, God tells him in very specific detail, this is how you build this boat. Because I don't know, maybe Noah was a shipbuilder. I have no idea what he did. But God gave him really detailed descriptions. This is how you make it. This is how you put it together. And if Noah deviated from those plans, do you think he would have felt so good whilst he was on the water? If he decided, well, I'm going to make a little skiff or something. I'll be fine. You know, or I don't want to be around all those stinky animals. I'll just make myself a smaller boat. It's a lot easier. It won't take me 100 years to build. I, I think he would have had problems. But God guides him, and Noah has the good sense to follow God. He wasn't saying to God, well, any ship will do. He said to God, I will build your boat the way that you said it, just because you told me to, because I know if I do, I'll be safe and I'll be saved. So it is by faith that Noah built this ark. And that's what we find in in Hebrews. It says that it was by faith. When all things did point that Noah built this ark and he gets on the boat and God brings the animals. It's, It's a phenomenal thing. Well, of course, the waters come. God closes them into this ark that Noah builds the exact way that God tells him to. And then they sit across the waters and it's over a year. And then finally they, they land and the waters go down. And, and Noah waits for a different couple birds he sends out. Finally one uh, doesn't come back. <laughs> and he thinks, well, it must be safe, which wouldn't be my thought. <laughs> But I guess if you're on a boat for that long, you're probably like, well, what the heck? <laughs> Let's get off of this thing. And they get off the boat. And, and here's the thing. God could have been done with them then. God could have said, all right, I rescued you in your time of need. That's it. Right? I've, I've made humanity. I destroyed most of it, but I saved humanity through you and the rest of this world. So now get out and just do what I told you to do. And, I, and he could have walked away. He could have been very distant. But that's not what God does. I mean, look, this next thing we find is that God leaves a command and a promise. God's very close to Noah and his family. And and he tells them some things that he wants them to do, but he also gives them the peace of what he is going to do. Now, the command and the promise seem very strange to us. 
and we'll highlight them for you. Isn't that fancy? Uh, some different things that they have. Now, let's talk about the command. The command is in Genesis 9, 4 through 7. I'll read it for you. It says, this is what God says, But you must not eat the meat that has lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made mankind. And as for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Now, oftentimes we read that and say, well, there's a lot of blood in there. What's God talking about? If we summarize all those things down, God is basically saying this. You respect life. I just wiped, I saved you. I saved you. You need to respect life. You were made in the image of man or the image of God. I created these animals. Don't take life for granted. Remember what God made so angry before? He said the world is filled with violence because of them. Our wickedness when we turn against each other leads us to not respect others. In doing so, we don't respect God. We destroy other people. We kill them. We do whatever we want to them because we want me and my kingdom. And we bring violence on the world and we stop respecting life. And God says, no, I'm going to put an end to that. There was a reason the flood happened. (laughs) You didn't respect me and you didn't respect one another. So respect this life that I gave you. It's a gift. So enjoy it. Don't waste it. That's a huge thing. And it makes a whole lot of sense because there weren't a whole lot of people on the earth at that time. But if we remember from the very first couple, it doesn't take very many people for us to start murdering one another. Right? Respect life. Respect one another. God also gives a promise. It's in Genesis 9, 11 through 13. It says this, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now imagine for Noah that was a pretty good sign. I mean, that was, that was good to hear. But God doesn't leave with that. He says, and God said, and this is a sign of the covenant I'm making between me and with you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set a rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and and the earth. God's basically telling us this. This covenant is I respect life. He's not going to just wipe us out again like that. Now for Noah, this would have been a very peaceful thing because otherwise he would have lived very close to that ark the rest of his life and all of the kids would have lived very close to the ark. But he was saying this. I saved life. Now go and do the things that I wanted you to do to begin with. I'm going to respect you enough. I'm giving you that peace, that assurance so that you can live. See, if we don't have peace that we're not going to be judged, we don't really have the peace to live for God, do we? We live close to the ark. But God didn't save us to live close to the ark. What did he tell them to do? Be fruitful and multiply. Get out there. Fill this earth again with people and love and life. And so God gives them a command and a promise to free them to set them free, to to bring this dignity and this hope and this peace back to the earth. See, when the world world was was completely corrupt, God found this hope in us. And he comes near and he guides the one to save us. He provides a way 
And then he frees us with grace so that we can live in that faith. It took faith for the people, for Noah's kids to move away from the ark, don't you think? But to live by faith so they could fill the world with his life and his love. Now, I'm not uh, the world's you know, most prominent theologian or smartest human being, but I can tell you there are some significant ties between this and what we celebrate on Christmas. Isn't it one of the reasons that we love Christmas is that it's the season of light and love and, and all those things? And I think that stands out so much because our world is so corrupt, isn't it? And when you turn on the news... And you see the corruption and, and just the despair around the world. And don't sometimes you think, this is too big for me? <laughs> Where is God in this? How can any righteous person make a difference? Uh, we see not just out there in the world, but even in our own neighborhoods. Even our own homes. A lot of times in our own hearts. You know, we try to do good. We try to live for God. And yet we find out that we live so selfishly so often. And we say, where is there any hope? I think there comes a point in every human's life. I'm a very positive, optimistic person. I love people. But there are times when I just look at it and I say, my goodness, we are messed up. (laughs) But God found hope in this hopelessly corrupt world. He found something in us to save even when we couldn't find it ourselves. And he sent himself to save us and there is a way and his name is jesus he is god and he came to earth and he said if you just believe in me you will be saved that we will be saved by god's grace through his faith and our faith is in jesus christ our lord and savior now he tells us how to place that faith he says you have to believe you have to trust him even when you have doubt You're going to have to confess him. You're going to have to stand with him and identify with him. Even when people ridicule you, you're going to have to say, yes, I'm a Christian. Because we're not ashamed of our ark. And you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to somehow in your life say, I'm going to bow my knee to God instead of the knee to my own kingship and my own life. By faith, I'm going to trust that God knows what he's talking about, even when I disagree with him. And I'm going to follow him. Tells us to be baptized because who on earth would do that otherwise? To identify with him in his death, burial, and resurrection by faith. He tells us to be baptized that every day that we're supposed to grow in him and set our roots in him by faith. Now, it is not the belief and it is not the confession or the repentance. It is not the baptism or it is not, it is not the discipleship that save us. Just as much as it wasn't that ark that saved Noah. It is God. And we are saved by that grace, but he tells us how to get on it. There is no other ark back to God. There is no other way. There is Jesus. Now, what a wonderful thing that God guides us. He could have sent Christ and then tell us about it, just like he could have told Noah, (laughs) build an ark, but not what to do with it. And he tells us, you have to follow Jesus. He tells us that. It isn't some other God. There is no other philosophy. There is nothing else out there that can bring us back that can save humanity. But there is Jesus. And we celebrate that there is a way. And that is why we're so excited this time of year. Because when we see at Christmas time, we see that God came very near to us to save us so that we could live for him. But he didn't just save us like that. 
he allows us to live in his grace. It wasn't though like God said, okay, do all these things and that's what's going to save you. He said, you're saved by grace through faith in me. And once we accept Christ, it is though we have the same promise that he said, God will not judge us. Just like Noah got judged, God will not judge you. There is freedom that we have in Christ now to live. We don't have to live next to the ark. But we can fill this world with God's love and his life. And that's what he calls us to do. For when God comes near to us, he calls us to come near to one another and to help one another and to lead one another back to that ark of salvation. Does that make sense? Isn't that wonderful? Now, as we bring this message to a close, and I have the worship team come back, you think, Aaron, what do I do with these things? This, this ark and Noah's thing and all that. Well, I have some suggestions because the last thing we ever want to do is be guilty of coming near God's word and then walking away without being changed. There has to be some kind of action. So on the back of your connection card, I have some suggestions for you. Things, next steps that we can do because we have a God that saves us. The first one I would suggest is to memorize Genesis 9.16. Why? Because we live in a beautiful place and we get rainbows in the spring. Not so much today, but in the spring. And let that rainbow remind you of God's promise. Not just that he's not going to flood the earth again, but he saves us. That God makes covenants and he keeps them. Every time I see a rainbow, it's a reminder that I have been saved and I will be saved. And well, guess what? I am saved today. It's an amazing thing, but memorize that. Think about the power of God to destroy, and yet he uses that power also to save. He's a powerful, loving God. How about this? Read Genesis 11 through, uh, 6 through 11. Why? That's the story of Noah. It's a great story. You want to read about hopelessness turning into hope and, and despair turning to life? I mean, if, you, if you're looking for a hope-filled story, read this one. God is in control. And uh, it's a powerful one. If you want to see the heart of God to save humanity and to free us from our depravity, read Genesis 6 through 11. How about this? Uh, Pray for our community and our culture. God sees the good even when we don't. God knows where there is hope, and he knows how to bring hope into fruition and how to save us. We need to be praying for our community and our culture. We need an infusion of God back into our lives. Maybe this week you say, you know what, that's what I'm going to do. Because the God who saved Noah is the God who saved me and is the God who can also save my neighbors and those that live in my community and my country and my world. So maybe this is what he wants to do is to bring that love of God, to start praying for, for our community. Or maybe this. Maybe it's to spend five or ten minutes each day with God. I call these my dates with God. I have them every day. And it's important because if you want to learn to love somebody, you have to date them, right? That's, that's the thing. So why don't you start with saying, you know, I'm going to schedule five to ten minutes every day. I want to meet with God. You can spend some time in his word. You can talk to him. You can think about what he might be doing in your life. But you say, you know what? This God who came so near to save us in the flood, also saved us in Christ, sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in me as, as a down payment for, uh, for my salvation. He loves me. I want to love him too. So you say, you know what? I want to spend some time with God and let him change me from the inside out. Or maybe there's something else that you need to do. Maybe maybe you've never started a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you need to get on that ark. 
Maybe your life looks like despair and hopelessness and pain. But there is a God who loves you. He sent his son. That's why we celebrate this season. So you could be saved. Maybe you need to make that commitment. Well, or anything else, let us know what it is. And so we can talk to you, especially if it's that one, about what does it mean to follow Jesus. We can help you make those steps of faith so that you can be saved and have that peace and live in that grace and that hope and that love that we celebrate this time of year. Whatever your commitment is, I encourage you to make it now. Also, if you have a prayer request, let it. we pray for you every week. We'd love to pray for you. If there's a prayer request you have, write that down. Then in a few minutes, we're going to take our offering and our tithes. And as we do, I want you to drop this green connection card in the basket. And so this is also an offering that you're making to God. All right. Well, let's take these and, and, uh, these, and with our gifts and uh, let's pray for them now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a kind and a just and a powerful and a loving God. That you're a creator that doesn't abandon us but finds hope in the midst of our hopelessness. God, I pray that you would bless these commitments, these tithes, and these offerings, Lord. And that you would use them to build your church and your kingdom in this Estes Valley and beyond, Father. That your love would be known here. And, and Father, that it would just shine to this Estes Valley till every person who lives here understands who Jesus is. And that there is a way out of our depravity. And there is a way back to life. Father God, I pray that you would take our tithes and our offerings, those gifts, and that you would bless them and multiply them and use them as well to build, uh, build your church. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who comes near to us even when we wander far off, that you love us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.